You've heard that leaders should be storytellers, but how do you be a decent storyteller without being weird about it? Today, practical storytelling that isn't awkward. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 228. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to help you develop your leadership skills. And I am so glad to have you back with me or perhaps with me for the first time because today, a real practical conversation for you around a topic that for many of us is one of those topics that we know is important, we've heard about before, but we don't necessarily know how to get started with it. And that is the topic of storytelling. And if you have been a leader in any capacity or ever been to a leadership course or a training or heard someone talk about leadership or even read any leadership book, you've probably heard the term storytelling mentioned at least once and that leaders should be storytellers and leaders need to be effective at utilizing story. And yet the path on how to do that often isn't very clear for many of us. And that is why I'm really thrilled to welcome back to the show David Hutchins. David was a first back on Coaching for Leaders back on episode 148, a little over a year ago. And on that episode, we talked about the four stories leaders need for influence. And when I did my end of the year review in 2014 and sent out the last leadership guide at the end of the year, I mentioned that this was one of my five favorite conversations of 2014 from the Coaching for Leaders show because David provided so much wisdom, but also practical guidance for us on how to be more effective storytellers. And I'm really thrilled that he's back because he has a new book out. He is the author of the book Circle of the Nine Muses, a storytelling field guide for innovators and meeting makers. David, I'm really thrilled to welcome you back to Coaching for Leaders. Thank you, Dave. It it was a a pleasure to to be in dialogue with you last year, and it felt like we were just putting the pause on a really great conversation, so I'm glad we get to continue that today. Well, I feel the exact same way. I really wanted to continue that conversation at the time, and I'm glad we get to continue it today. And uh, and, and so let's let's get right into this question of, of storytelling and uh, and and actually, before we even get into the storytelling part, you know, the, even that word storytelling always focuses on a lot of times the telling piece of it. You know, what we should do as a leader, but a big part of this is the audience, the person who's listening. In fact, it's probably the most important part. And I, I know that that's a real big consideration of you when you're teaching the skill of storytelling to leaders. Tell me a little bit more about listening. I, I know you even have a story around listening uh, that'd be helpful for us. Yeah, that, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. And I do have a story about that. And it's kind of an unusual story because, you know, usually my work brings me to um, organizational audiences and audiences of, of executives and, and leaders. And this year, I was invited to an event that was very different for me. It was in Salt Lake City. And it's a, not an annual meeting, every four years, a a global meeting of the world's religions. It's called the Parliament for World Religions. 
And this year, uh, it was in the United States. Usually it's, you know, all around the world. So it happened to be in America this year in Salt Lake City. And uh, I was invited to help harvest stories of participants Hmm. and, you know, stories of oppression and stories of violence and uh, stories of women's voices within the within the religious world, and I, I received stories from Zoastafarians and Sikhs and dozens and dozens of, of religions. And the, the experience as a listener, you know, I wasn't there to teach. I was there to receive and capture stories. So I was, I was a listener. I'll never forget the first woman who, who sat down and, you know, we, we had a, a, a camera going and so we were, you know, recording stories. And she introduced herself and said, I am a witch. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And for a moment, it immediately took me out of the experience. I I felt my attention shift from, from being present to, you know, now my mind was activated. And I was asking questions. Hmm, a witch. I, I don't think I've met a witch. <laughs> I've actually met, I've met some Wiccans before. Yeah. Um, and is is witch different than Wiccan, or is it the same? So I'm having this dialogue in my head, and even the fact that I'm having these thoughts, I have felt myself disconnect from the person across from me. Mm. You know, I was having not judgmental thoughts, but judging thoughts. Judgmentalism is assigning a value to the thoughts, but judging in terms of I'm just weighing information and trying to make sense of it. And I had this strong sense of I'm no longer present. And so I had to make a decision. I'm going to silence those thoughts and simply be present for this story. And so I did that. I even you know, became aware of my, my breath and eye contact. And you know, it, it, I simply heard her story. And the story that she told was about having breast cancer and how scared she was. Mm. And I felt the story deeply. It's like a whole body listening where I, I lost awareness of what was around me and, and was only connected to her story. And so it's really a, a, a profound experience that I, I think has something to say to leaders and organizations about joining and presence and connection. Over and over again, I had the experience of people sitting down and presenting themselves as different. You know, I'm not like you. I'm, I'm a witch or, or I'm, I am an unfamiliar other to you. And it's, it's their way of saying, first, I expect you to accept me from where I'm coming from. So it starts with difference. And then without fail, it became this experience in universality. I'm different, but I'm actually just the same. Mm. And they would tell a story without fail that affirmed that we, we were living the same lives and having the same experience. And I just found that so fascinating that I kept having that experience. And for the storytellers, you know, they, they kept saying, I've never been, not just me, but, you know, just the whole setup, the, the, the event. I've never felt heard like that before. I've never been invited like that to tell my story. And so everybody walked away from this connected and, and changed. And especially in organizations where we're talking about engagement and teams. And, you know, in my world, I come from uh, organizational learning. And we talk about mental models. And, 
you know, experiencing other people's beliefs and assumptions and conclusions and worldviews. I feel like as much as I've talked about that and even written about it, I have rarely had that kind of immersive, empathic presence in another person's mental models. And story is a door into that. And it, it, it creates this enormous connection and understanding and engagement. I think there's something very important for leaders and organizations. But that's why, you know, I said to you earlier that this idea of listening, I've been coming back to it and looking at it in some new ways and some different ways. Uh, And a lot of it's because of that really profound experience that I had in Salt Lake City. It really strikes me as a as an important question to ask, because often when we're talking about storytelling, and you and I even did this when we had the last conversation on episode 148, is we're talking about uh, how do we tell the story? What do, what's the strategy we use? What's the model? And, and all of that's really key. And also, how does that land with our audience? And wh- what are we doing as leaders to also be good listeners because that's such a key part of engagement. And I'm I'm curious for you, David, as you've worked with because you work with clients all the time on on this question specifically on storytelling and and getting the message across. How do you frame that for the perspective of helping leaders to listen more effectively and be present and really have people leaving that engagement with that leader feeling like they've been heard? Um, you know, when you read the title of, of my book, you know, Circles of the Nine Muses, you know, the, the, uh, the subtitle is uh, A Field Guide for Innovators and Meaning Makers. Really, the, the focus of the book and of much of my work is not so much on storytelling. You know, I, we can talk about how to, to be a better presenter and how to be more engaging in your speeches and how to tell stories that will really grab audiences and all that is important. I think the the most important part of the work is all of the stuff that happens after a story is told. And you know, I always uh, I always say to my groups when I'm working with them that when you tell a story, that's not the end of a conversation. It's always the beginning of a conversation. Mm. And after the story is told, you know, that story is loaded with information about um, the organization and about the team, and about our mental models, and our assumptions of what does it mean to be us, and how do we do the work we do, and why do we do the work we do. And all that stuff is buried or threaded through the story. And so once you tell the story, you have to have this conversation, this meaning-making conversation. How do we pull that good stuff out? You know, now that I've told the story, hey, Dave, what did you hear in that story? How did you experience that story? What are some assumptions you heard? Oh, that's interesting. Well, you heard that's different from what I heard because I heard something else. And and Jane, what did you hear in that story? So it's it's creating interpretive communities so that we've got a story culture where the team is constantly not only telling stories but also receiving one another's stories with full presence, and then having that conversation. You know that that story has something important to say. How do we pull that out? And so the book, Circle of the Nine Muses, is full of ideas on not only how to, you know, last year we talked about the four core stories. So that was about story selection. You know, which stories as a leader should I be telling? All right, good. That's, That's a good start. Now that I've told some of those stories, 
how do I invite the team into that experience to receive the stories and then start pulling the good stuff out of it? And then how do I invite the team to start telling their stories so I can be present and, and experience their stories? So it, it becomes this entire phenomenon of participation and, and meaning making uh, that, gosh, I've made it all sound terribly abstract, but it's not. It's, it's sitting in circles and telling stories and having conversations about them. And it's wonderfully energizing and even fun work to do. Yeah, well, this is this is really interesting because I sense that there's a ton here. Because even going into this conversation, David, I'm thinking about it from the standpoint of okay, how to as a leader, how do I tell the story better? How do I get the message across? And you're really challenging me and us to think beyond that. Of yeah, that's the starting point for the conversation. I am gonna, I'm gonna go. I don't think I'm going out on a huge limb here of saying that that's probably new ground for most leaders in most organizations, even telling the story while we're thinking about the model is probably something most of us haven't done a lot of thinking of unless we've heard the last conversation. So um, before we get into maybe some of the how of doing that, um, let's hit on the practical. So why is it that why is it that a leader would want to be even thinking about this of of how to engage in that conversation and that dialogue and that meaning making after the story is being told? Um, I, I always start my, uh, my sessions with groups by asking that question. I, I just did a, a session just a few hours ago this morning with a group of uh, 150 retail branch managers for a large bank here in the southeast of the United States. I asked them that, that question, you know, what, why stories, especially for a, a, a financial group, you know, people who are in the business of financial transactions and selling financial products and services. And they were, they had no problem at all connecting to it. And they said immediately, um, story is about emotion. Well, that's interesting. What, is emotion important to your work as a, as a bank branch manager? And they said, it's what we deal with every day. You know, every time you talk about money or financial services, you're talking about emotion. And so the best way to bring people into that conversation is through story because story is emotion. And I was, I was like, wow, brilliant. You said that better than, than I have said it before. You're, you're exactly right. Well, that's great. And, and that's them telling you that actually, which is even, which is so, I, I mean, it's ironic, but it's also great of that they're seeing that in their work on a daily basis from the standpoint and the lens of story. It's actually one of my little tricks as a, as a facilitator. At the beginning of uh, a presentation, instead of me saying, hey, story is important, let me tell you why. I always ask the audience, why is this important? And, um, and let them make the case for it. And they always do. People always do. They have no problem in saying um, either what I just shared or, you know what, the work I do is complex. And a lot of people don't understand it. And I need to get better at telling stories that invite people into the work so they can embrace it and then become part of it. You know, I hear that a lot in engineering or science or, um, or technology fields, you know, very complex fields. I need to get better at, at, at the story. A lot of people will talk about, you know, identity of the organization and, and they'll say, you know what, the products we're offering are they're kind of commodities. A lot of people are offering what we offer. You know, that's certainly true in financial services very often. But the story is what makes us different. You know, who we are and the why of what we're doing 
you know, no one else can tell our story. And in fact, people, our customers keep telling us that's why they're coming to us is because of our story. Well, we need to get better at that. What does that mean? What is our story? How do we articulate it? How do we invite people into it? So there's, there's a lot of reasons why leaders should be talking about this. Branding, certainly. Knowledge work. You know, the organization, how do we take what the organization knows? How do you manage knowledge? You know, it's a new field in the past couple of decades. How do you manage knowledge? Well, it turns out that story is the container for knowledge. And so if we want, you know, especially as the baby boomers are starting to retire, you know, altogether and create a mass knowledge crisis across the world, how do we keep that wisdom that they've had, that, that those decades of wisdom? Well, we need to get them to tell their stories before they go. So there's a lot of reasons for leaders to be paying attention to this. Well, I'll just affirm what you've said there. I have seen so many examples in my work over the last decade in this industry and in my work at Dale Carnegie. Story is, I, I am still surprised at how powerful a conversation about story and a story experience can be in not only the emotion, like you said, David, but also just re- retention and people recalling what was said and what was communicated. And like you're saying, from a branding standpoint, there's a huge conversation to have there. So, so many practical uses of this. And uh, and one of the areas I'm really curious about is what you mentioned earlier. So we had talked about the the four stories leaders need for influence in the past conversation. So let's let's move past that now. Let let's say you know I've I've and I hope people do go back and listen to that who haven't uh, who haven't listened to that conversation yet. But how do we move down this path now of that next step of thinking about how we have dialogue after the story? Because like you said, that's the starting point, and I think that that's a really that's a really key distinction for a lot of us is that's the beginning of the conversation. What are the things you teach people on doing of where to go next? There are a lot of constructs out there for for meaning making. You know, the field of uh, epistemology. You know, how how do we know what we know? How do we construct knowledge? There's there's some rich theory behind this. Uh, in Circle of the Nine Muses, I I present some really simple frameworks for having this conversation. One is kind of a classic construct called the harvester witness model, and I use this all the time in my work. And uh, I credit story thinkers, uh, Mary Alice Arthur, who's a story activist in in the Netherlands or in Europe. Paul Andrew Costello is in in Washington, D.C. He does a lot of uh, work with with young leaders from Israel and Palestine and helping them create new stories of peace in the future. And both of them use a similar construct for inviting people into the meaning-making. And here's how it works. You know, bring people into a circle tell a story, you know, either I tell a story or I invite you to tell one of your stories. So if there's three of us, there's three roles. One person is the storyteller. One person will be the harvester. And one person will be the witness. And the harvester and witness are both meaning-making roles. And you assign these roles up front, which is important because you've given the listeners a job. And now as they're listening to the story, they're doing so with this really focused attention. Oh, I need to deliver some feedback and some meaning after I hear this story. So the, the, it, there's a geography of meaning in the story. And so the harvester is listening for meaning inside the story. And then the witness is listening for meaning behind the story. And so by that, I mean the harvester will, content, will comment on the content of the story. So you'll tell me your story, and if I'm the harvester, I'll feedback some 
some what I heard about what was in the story. Um, Dave, that story you told me was that was really a story about trust. Mm. And and then you'll go, oh, that's interesting. I I hadn't thought about it that way. And I'll say, yeah. And and then I noticed something else about the story. It, I, I think it revealed some beliefs that we have on on our team. Or maybe I'll say, you know, that there was a leadership behavior in that story that was really powerful. And just think if everyone on our team did would do what you did in that story. So I'm making all these comments about the content of the story. And participants are always surprised to find out how easy this is. They always think that it's it, it sounds hard. And people always go, wow, that was really easy. You know, I, I heard stuff and I commented on it. And I just had to be purposeful about it. Then the witness as I mentioned, is, is behind the story. So they're not talking about the content of the story. They comment on the phenomenon of the story experience. Um, Dave, when you told your story, I noticed that you become really passionate when you're talking about your team. I can tell you care about your team. Or you, you have a, uh, an authority about you where you, you never have to raise your voice or become emotional. It's I can tell it's coming from a place of integrity. So it's what I noticed about you or me or all of us. Mm. Now, Dave, when you got to that emotional part of the story, I noticed all three of us kind of leaned in a little bit, like we were really just tracking with what you were saying. And I even felt my heart start beating a little bit. If I can get my head around the, the both roles, the harvester is really, is almost capturing what was said, summarizing it maybe a little, and I hate to use the word summarize because I don't know if that really gives justice to to what that person would do, but but captures what was said. The witness almost captures like what what was the experience. Is that accurate? That's right. The witness is is capturing and increasing the storyteller's self awareness, which you know a, a lot of storytellers don't have or a lot of speakers or, or leaders don't have it's, you know who who am I in in this event and that can be very powerful feedback and a, as a whole you know after I've told my story and now a harvester and a witness both give some information back to me it can be a very powerful experience because as the storyteller I'm thinking dang, all I did was tell you a story about how frustrated I was with my Excel spreadsheet this morning. And now you're pulling all these riches out of it. And you're showing me how there was leadership and intent and purpose. Mm. Paul Costello uses the term story ejection. I almost find myself standing outside my story, considering all the possible meanings uh, and interpretations with just a startlingly fresh lens where it, it, it becomes very objective to me. And now we're able to start creating meaning together. I don't get defensive about what my story means, but now we're all in, in interpretation together. And it can be a really rich experience that's not that difficult to create. You just have to create a few minutes and some, some purpose to make it happen. Yeah, and I I suspect of both of us being facilitators and and having worked with groups a lot, there there's a right and a wrong way to do this. Uh, what's the direction you give to the person who's the harvester and the person who's the witness? What's what's the 
direction as far as what you should be listening for or what you should be saying that that uh, that that we also might use if we're in that situation any of us i appreciate the question because because you're right there you know in, in the book i keep making the case this isn't that hard you can do this but the the truth is there are ways to mess it up right and we we don't want to do harm especially when we're meaning making the direction that i give that that seems to be the most helpful for the most possible number of of scenarios is for the the feedback to be appreciative and that is to you know when when you give your your harvester or witness feedback make it appreciative only talk about what worked or what you liked and so the purpose of this is not to become a story critic you know we don't want to say hey you know dave your your story it kind of rambled there and i it, there wasn't a clear protagonist and i couldn't tell where you were going with it no 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 we're, we're not doing any of that you know there's a place for story coaching especially if somebody is going to be doing some presentation we can talk about structure and how to make the story better but for the purpose of meaning making there's not a whole lot of room for that all we're looking for is what did you like what worked what what made a connection for you? And so instructing the team to keep for the feedback to be appreciative goes a long way because that, you know, that keeps us out of critique and in meaning making. And beyond that, and then beyond the basic roles of here's what the harvester is going to say and here's what the witness is going to say, honestly, Dave, I don't give the team too much instruction beyond that. Mm. I keep it really simple. And the team is able to embrace those roles with an appreciative lens very quickly and very easily. And at the end, they're always surprised how well it went because they think that it's not going to go well. And, you know, when a group starts having meaning-making conversations together, in addition to it being simpler than they expected, they're surprised at the feeling of connection that it creates. Wow, we're having meaningful and urgent conversations about our team and about our work, and about our strategy, and in a way that's creating forward movement. Now we're all thinking about it in a richer, bigger way than we were before, and we all have this appreciation and connection for each other now. I mean, it's really a wonderful thing that, again, with only a little bit of design and intent, you can create that experience. Speaking of connection, I know one of the words that's important in your work is emotion and the role of emotion in story. Tell me more about that. The famous illustration is from the uh, English writer E.M. Forster. You know, he, he wrote Room with a View and Howard's End and uh, Passage to India. And he has a, a, a famous illustration that, that he wrote where he talks exactly about the, the role of emotion in a story. And E.M. Forster said, if I were to say to you, the queen died and the king died, that's not a story. That's a fact. But if I were to say to you, the queen died and the king died of grief, now that's a story. And so the, the only difference there is, you know, I added the, the word of grief. And yet perhaps you sensed as I said that or as, Howard, uh, as Ian Forster wrote it, you, you may have felt the fundamental change to the information. You know, he says a story is a fact plus an emotion. And as soon as I said the king died of grief, 
if you've experienced loss in your life or if you've ever experienced grief and you know what a, a massive emotional experience grief can be, simply saying that conjures all of those memories and it conjures all of those experiences. And, and now we have this image of the king grieving over, over the, the queen who has died. And now we're engaged in a way that we weren't when we simply said the queen died and the king died. The, the emotion creates the connection. The emotion creates the empathy, or as, a, uh, as they would describe in, in neuroscience, it creates neural coupling. When you tell a story that has the emotional content in it, as a listener, it triggers the same emotional reaction in me, so it's as if I'm experiencing the story. Mm. And it can be a very powerful experience that's called neural coupling. And that only happens when there's emotion in the story. You know, if I'm, if I'm reading a PowerPoint chart with a bunch of data on it, you, you don't experience neural coupling. You don't get that connection. But when I tell you a story that has emotion, now there's the connection. Now it's, now our, our minds are, uh, you know, perhaps literally linked. There's this construct called mirror neurons. The neurons in my mind are mirroring what's happening in your mind as you tell the story because of that emotional content. And so it can be a very powerful experience. And one of the things I talk to leaders about a lot is the opportunity of bringing emotion into the story because a lot of leaders don't want to do that. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say that, that is, that's probably the missed opportunity in many organizations is there's a fear or just a not understanding of how to bring, you know, we hear about, um, we, don't, we shouldn't get emotional in the workplace. And, and I think there's a difference between getting emotional and bringing in emotion. And there's a fear for many leaders and in many organizations of, of even the word emotion. And yet the power when that's done well, David, like you were saying of, of really making that connection. Have you found something that's been helpful as far as helping leaders and organizations to be able to um, maybe try that out a little bit more or take that first step for bringing in some of that emotion in order to, in order to op open the opportunity for some of that connection. And in fact, you just gave one of the keys to it, Dave, which is to, to summon emotion. You, you don't have to actually experience emotion. You know, I, I do a lot of programs in, in Europe, uh, in Paris and in Amsterdam, and I find that the European sensitivity is even stronger. You know, Europeans think Americans are, are way too emotional and we, you know, we, we cry at everything and we, we make everything into a Disney presentation. And they're much more reluctant to bring emotion into their storytelling. They, they fear that they will lose their credibility or their executive presence. And one thing that helps them is I say, you know, it's not that you have to show emotion. I mean, if you tell a sad story, it's not that you need to start crying when you tell the story. In fact, I agree. That's probably not a good idea. I mean, the, the story that the audience kind of disengages from you. If you start getting upset during the story, it all, it's like you've lost control and now the, the audience is uncomfortable. Oh, no, we have to help him. I mean, it takes him out of the story. So it's not displaying emotion. It's simply describing emotion. And so it can be as simple as saying, you know, I... I got the results back from the employee engagement survey and I am, I was stunned. Hmm. Oh, wow. See, as, as soon as you say I was stunned, now I've given you an emotional filter, a way of starting to process 
the, the event, and now you're intrigued. Dave was stunned by the, the survey. Oh my gosh, I wonder what was in there. Tell me. You know, I want to see if I'm stunned also. As soon as you... So I, I'm not stunned or surprised as I'm telling the story. I'm simply dispassionately using emotional language to describe an emotional state and that still creates the neural coupling so that you also have the experience. Oh wow. That's that's such a critical point of of how to bring that in in a way that also is very practically relevant for a lot of businesses and organizations. Yeah, it lets a lot of leaders off the hook. They go, Oh, good. I, I thought you were saying I had to cry all the time when I tell stories and I don't want to cry. It's like, no, you don't cry. Just but engage people's emotions. You don't have to be afraid of that data. That's some of the most important data in in your transactions and in your offerings. And goodness, how how have you been avoiding the the emotion in your stories all this time? What a huge missed opportunity. Well, speaking of missed opportunities, it would be very irresponsible of me to be having this conversation with you and not to ask about some of the discoveries you made along the way, because I know you did a ton of research and looking at different organizations and how they're using story in, in, in practical ways. And I was wondering if maybe you could share an example or two of how, what are organizations out there doing that have integrated this in a practical way that's been helpful for the business results that they're looking for? The applications are so rich and so diverse. And I'm, I'm working with a pharmaceutical team that's a sales team and they want to bring story into their sales dialogue. So it's not just product feature and benefits, but it's, it's stories. It's stories about me as a salesperson. It's stories about you as a, uh, uh, as an office manager for a, for a uh, doctor's office. It's stories about customers, other customers I've heard about your customers. And how do I tell those stories? How do I, how do I elicit your stories? It's not just me talking at you and telling you a bunch of stories to manipulate you and make you buy. It's what are your stories and how, how do I bring those out? So storytelling in sales right now is, is huge. Another way that it's coming out a lot is in the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, really smart people who live their lives in the data are really good at talking to each other. They're good at talking to other smart people who know the nuances of the data. But a big part of their work is explaining what they're doing to others, and, you know, especially if they're seeking funding or support. And a lot of those guys are really struggling with, hmm, how, do, how do I say this in a way that you know, someone, a, a muggle like David Hutchins can understand this hard work that I'm doing? How do I step away from, the, from this highly nuanced data and make this metaphorical abstract leap to a story that David Hutchins can understand, but also doesn't c- compromise or, or do a disservice to the data, which I, I care about so much. And so making that leap from, from left brain to right brain, from data to, to narrative, is um, a lot of groups are asking questions about that right now. So those are just a couple of examples. Well, and you, you've hit on something uh, like you. I've worked with a lot of technical folks over the years, and that is a huge need. And the people who learn how to do that well are so valuable in their organizations and in leading teams and in interfacing with the customer of being able to 
be true to the data and to have the technical conversations, but then to be able to engage in a narrative that that engages people who don't have the same technical background they do, or maybe don't have a technical background at all. And that that is just huge uh, when they make that leap. So I'm really excited that that you're seeing that too, and that, that there's a yeah. there's a path forward for that. Um, I I think speaking of path forwards, one of the things I'm curious about is coming out of this conversation. Um, uh, obviously, I hope people will check out your book because it's it's a wealth of information. By the way, the book is beautiful, so so definitely go online to check it out and, and at least look at what David's put together on this. In addition to that, what's a good starting point for a leader who wants to bring story into their work? What's step one? Um, step one is easy. Just tell a story. Next time you bring the team together and you've got the conference room for 30 minutes and you have to be out by two o'clock because another group needs the room and you've got a packed agenda and you have a lot of stuff to talk about and you don't really have time to stop or slow down for a story, just take a breath. And before you dive into the agenda, say, you know what, I, I saw something in a customer interaction yesterday that I thought was really amazing, and I want to share it with you. And I want to tell you what, what Janet did when she was with our customer yesterday. And simply tell a story. You know, begin the meeting with a story. You don't have to run through the agenda first. You don't have to make decisions first. Tell a story of something hap- that happened that shows the team at its best or that shows the values of the organization being exercised in remarkable ways or that brings the vision of the work that we're doing and the, the reason we've come together, that brings it together, that brings it alive in some really powerful, impactful ways because you know, it's got a story and because there's emotion and connection and engagement. And so it's a simple, it, it doesn't have to be rehearsed. It doesn't have to be memorized. You, you can stumble and stutter your way through the story, but if it's the right story and if it's connected to the work that matters to us, then it can be transformational. So simply pause to tell the story and then notice the reactions you get. Take a look at the people sitting around the table. What do they say? What what are their looks on their faces? What do they comment on afterwards? What did it feel like to you? You know, you can give some witness feedback to yourself. What did that feel like? What happened in the room? And just notice the response and then try it again. I mean, it's really that simple. Find a, an opportunity to tell a story and then tell a story. That's all we're talking about here. I, I love that advice, David. And I, I've got a couple of call to actions too. Uh, one of them is to check out the book, definitely. And a second call to action is if you're looking for even a little more framework on how to how to have that first story or that first conversation even beyond is go listen to episode 148, the four stories leaders need for influence that David and I recorded about a year ago and aired. That's a great starting point for even a little more traction on on exactly how to have that. And then and then finally, as I as you're noticing, uh, David and I have known each other a number of years now, and he's a wealth of resource for your organization if you're looking for. A, a guide who has an expertise in how you help your organization do this more effectively. So I'll put a link to David's website in the notes. Uh, David, it's at davidhutchins.com for those of you who'd like to reach out to David directly. David, I really appreciate your time, your wisdom here, the research you've done. Uh, we could talk for a couple more hours on all of this, uh, speaking of storytelling, right. uh, but I'm, I'm just really grateful for everything you've, you've brought to our community. Uh, and thanks for being back on the show. We need to do this again, Dave, anytime. Just say the word. David Hutchins is the author of the new book, Circle of the Nine Muses, a storytelling field guide for innovators and meaning makers. Thanks, David. Thanks, Dave.
I really appreciate David coming back on the show, and one of the things that I appreciate a ton about David and his work is just how practically he approaches storytelling. And a lot of us have heard about the importance of storytelling. We know we should do it, but there just aren't a lot of clear roadmaps for how to do it. And and David really provides that, not only in this episode, but back when he was on in episode 148. And if this framework's been helpful to you, I certainly would suggest checking out his book. And for those in the Coaching for Leaders community who find that their organization or maybe even their team would really benefit from doing more of this, of course, David's a great resource for you. And I certainly encourage you to reach out to him. And if you can do this well as a leader, or at least do it better than you're doing now as far as using, utilizing storytelling, bringing in real human emotion into the work that you're doing, and, and David made the distinction of that doesn't mean you have to be emotional, but bringing in the emotion that's true and real for all of us, that what what amazing ways we can capture meaning and innovation in our organizations. I mean, if you think about just the, the, as I'm recording this, the Star Wars movie came out about a month ago, the most recent one. And and like many of you, I'm a fan of Star Wars and saw the movie and it was great and I enjoyed it a bunch. And I, I'm, I'm really struck by just watching the cultural conversation that's happened uh, over the last month or two amongst people I know who are Star Wars fans and and the the lead up to the movie and just how much has been has been captivated in our society by the story the Star Wars saga and how that moves so many people to action purely on an entertainment fun level and yes there's a big business behind it of course too but for many of us it's a fun entertaining thing to engage in Imagine if you could bring an element of that into your work. And I don't mean from an entertainment standpoint. Of course, we want to have fun in our work too. But but imagine if you could bring in that emotion, the story, the meaning, the excitement even behind what you're doing in your organization and how you're really trying to serve the people you work with, your customers, and being champions for them. Man, if you could capture a little bit of that in your organization, more so than you're doing now, I know for you and for the people you serve that you'll do great things. So I'd really encourage you to to take this to heart. And if you haven't already listened to episode 148 when David was last on, he talked about the four stories leaders need for, for influence and walk through those frameworks. I'd really encourage you to go check those out. As always, if you have comments or questions, you can jump in on the show notes as well too. Coachingforleaders.com slash 228 is the best way to do that. And the next Q&A episode is going to be coming up here in a few weeks. So if you have a comment or question, that you'd like us to consider for the next Q&A episode, the first Monday of the month, go ahead and go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, and that's the best way to submit a question for consideration. And I also hope while you're online, you'll join my weekly leadership guide. It is delivered to your inbox on Wednesdays. It includes my thoughts, recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, links. I do something different each week because I want to keep it new and different for you and finding new resources and bringing new perspectives and it'll support you between the shows. And it also will always include 
a link to the full weekly show notes. So if David said something that you thought was helpful or any of the resources we mentioned on the show are always included in that. And if you haven't already joined that weekly leadership guide, you're going to get access the minute you do to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others, along with brief summaries from me on the value of each one of those books. And that's an 11-page reader's guide and a nine-minute video that you download. And plus, it's got insight on two of the books that I rely on pretty much weekly. And one of those books is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Won't surprise you that one of the key core concepts that Dale Carnegie has taught in courses for over 100 years, you guessed it, the element of storytelling. If you can do that and get your message across, you'll connect with people in a real genuine way. So if you are interested in that, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. That's the best way to get access to the weekly leadership guide. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and I will see you next week. Take care.